Welcome back to the Relentless Minds podcast. I am your host, Lori Jimenez. I created this platform with a sole mission, and that is to inspire people of all backgrounds to create the change they wish to see in their lives and in the world by sharing the examples of those who are. As a listener, you will hear the stories of ordinary men and women with extraordinary stories of overcoming adversities in order to experience the life they dream of. All of these individuals share a common interest. They desire a change for the better, and they are in a relentless pursuit to create that for themselves. If you're looking for inspiration to overcome challenges in your own life, to create a life that you desire to have, then you have come to the right place. You see, the truth is, people everywhere are fighting for what they believe in, and together, with relentless action and mental strength, I have no doubt that we can fulfill that dream. On November 12, 2019, hundreds of people from all walks of life found themselves together before the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C., supporting each other, sharing stories, and giving empowering and moving speeches. I met one man in particular who was carrying a self-made sign with the Mexican and American flag waving at either ends, which read, Build Bridges, Not Walls. He had flown in from San Diego the previous day just to be able to take part in this rally. Through the following few hours, I would continue to meet more people that had traveled from Missouri, Ohio, Kansas, New Jersey, and Washington State. They had all done whatever it took to attend this event that will go down in history as a landmark moment of when the United States was presented with very important decision that touched many Americans, citizens or not. On this day, people gathered together before the Supreme Court of the United States to fight for something they believed in the rights of hundreds of thousands of immigrants that are in the United States under the program known as DACA. DACA, formerly known as the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, is a program put in place by Barack Obama in 2014. The program was meant as a temporary relief from deportation for those who were brought to the U.S. as children and also allowed them to get a working permit. This was done so that these children could have an opportunity to go to school, work, and become functional and contributing members of society. However, in December of 2017, under the Trump administration, DACA was rescinded, making the future of about 700,000 current DACA recipients uncertain. In order to fully appreciate the complexities of the fight with DACA, it is important to have an understanding of the structure behind America's current immigration system and the history that brings us to where we find ourselves today. The history of immigration in America dates back thousands of years when the first immigrants from Asia crossed the Bering Strait into present-day Alaska. These initial immigrants settled into present-day Canada and the U.S. and Alaska's northern Pacific coast. These early migrants came to be known as North America's Native American population. Christopher Columbus's arrival in the Americas set in motion a new wave of immigration from Europe over hundreds of years as more and more immigrants began to settle in the New World. The Spanish settled in Florida in 1565 and three decades later in the territories that are now known as New Mexico and Texas. English colonists established their roots in Jamestown, Virginia in the early 1600s, which later became the destination for the arrival of African slaves. The Dutch arrived in what is now current-day Manhattan, and the French settled in Louisiana in the late 1600s. Even with the birth of the United States in 1776, there was no national-level law or statute put in place to regulate immigration, 
Instead, individual states each controlled their own immigration policies. It was not until 1790 that the United States first began to establish a uniform policy for determining who could become a U.S. citizen by passing the Naturalization Act of 1790. The act excluded non-white people from eligibility to naturalize, but this did not affect who was able to migrate to the United States. As the U.S. population continued to expand with an influx of European immigrants and African slaves, the actual territory of the United States was also expanding. In the early 1800s, the U.S. acquired Florida from Spain, and decades later, following the Mexican-American War, the U.S. acquired portions of Mexican territory, which we now know as Texas, California, Nevada, Utah, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, and parts of Arizona. This caused families that were previously part of Mexico to now find themselves in U.S. territory. This westward expansion and the discovery of gold in California in 1848 created an enormous demand for settlers and workers, and the U.S. government needed a way to populate the newly acquired territories. The Homestead Act of 1862 did this by offering free plots of land to settlers on the condition that they live on the land and develop it for a minimum of five years. These events, stemming from newly acquired Western territories, the California Gold Rush, and the Homestead Act, accelerated immigration and brought in approximately 6 million immigrants over the next three decades. During World War II, a similar situation transpired in which there was a shortage of workers on farms due to men being drafted into war or moved into cities to work in factories mobilized for the war. To fill this labor shortage, the U.S. government signed an agreement known as the Bracero Program with the Mexican government to import Mexican laborers to work temporarily as field workers, commonly, might I add, in horrible working conditions. Up until this point, immigration in the history of America was viewed as a catalyst for economic development and therefore encouraged by the United States government. Consequently, our collective understanding is that America is a country founded and built by immigrants and that immigrants are the engine of our growth and bring this country its never-ending innovative spirit. That belief is the reason for which immigration, control, and enactment of restrictions did not begin until the late 1800s. Once those laws and regulations were put in place, inherent biases slowly crept into immigration policies based on race, mental capacity, health conditions, and political or religious beliefs. Some also argue that America has failed in its attempts to create an immigration system that provides for necessary family and refugee protections and ensures diversity with each new immigrant wave. The immigration debate has become more heated in the last decade, making for an immigration system shaped, according to one immigration specialist, by public fears and anxieties rather than by sound public policy. Those fears have led some to see newly arrived immigrants as the other, and as a result has led to some discriminatory biases when deciding on admittance into the U.S. It is important for you to know that the American immigration system was built upon the following principles, the reunification of families, protecting refugees, and promoting diversity. And in our current immigration system, this is hardly the case. The Trump administration, since its establishment in 2017, introduced changes to the current immigration policies that negatively affected millions of lives, and an unfortunate new reality evolved. That is, immigration policies are subject to ambivalent and biased decisions made on a whim and aggressively enforced. Trump's focus on immigration and playing on the fears that many Americans have of foreigners is ultimately what won him the election. He made a promise to crack down on immigration, 
and crackdown is exactly what he has done. But at what expense? Let's take this into account. The refugee admissions to the United States from countries that are seeking safety and asylum have dropped significantly every year since 2017, with the ceiling being set for only 18,000 in 2020 from a previous ceiling of 85,000 in 2016. This is a rejection of families and children running from war-torn countries like Syria, Somalia, and Afghanistan. In a world where evil triumphs, the United States, which was once viewed as a savior in these critical times, has closed its doors to the outside world, leaving millions to face the unimaginable threats of their violent environment. Trump has also set to control immigration coming into America from the southern border by increasing funding for border patrol, leading, in some cases, to inhumane treatment, violence, separation of families, and horrible conditions in detention facilities. To further control the immigrant population in the U.S., the current administration has focused on targeting the deportation of immigrants through ICE raids, affecting hundreds of families, leaving children in foster care, and tearing families apart. Another focus is that of ending current legal programs for temporary permissions, known as TPS and DACA, as soon as the year 2020. The threat of ending these programs immediately prompted outrage and fear and was what moved hundreds of people to travel across the country to appear in front of the Supreme Court of the United States on Tuesday, November 12th, to protest. I attended the rally on Tuesday not only to share their inspiring battle for their rights on this platform, but because the afflictions these people face hit home for me as well. Being a first American citizen, born to an immigrant mother from El Salvador, the discrimination and fear of deportation were elements I recall very clearly in my childhood through the reflections of my mother. The first person I encountered was a humble-looking man who valiantly held a large sign in his hands which read, Protect TPS. I approached him, asked for a picture, and then asked him why he was attending the rally. We are a mixed family. We have children born in the U.S. and we have children with DACA. And my wife and I have TPS. Why this matters to us is because we don't want our family to be separated. Nelsie was one of the few TPS demonstrators that was present at the DACA rally that day. Because although TPS was not a subject in the hearings in court on November 12th, he still felt his presence mattered. And it certainly did. TPS, formerly known as Temporary Protective Status, allows for about 320,000 immigrants to live and work in the United States. It has been targeted by the Trump administration in their attempt to prevent its renewal for people from El Salvador, Haiti, Honduras, Nepal, Nicaragua, and Sudan, countries that together account for 98% of enrolled recipients. Nelsie is from El Salvador. We have 20 years of being in the United States. We have been working, supporting this economy with our taxes. We also own homes and pay the mortgage. We would like to send a message to the government that we are here and we are not leaving. This is a country that we have adopted as our home. In addition, we do contribute to the economy. We are not a burden for the government. Similar to Nelsi, among the crowds were hundreds of DACA recipients who have been in America for the majority, if not their entire, lives. These are individuals who have been able to pursue their goals in education and career due to having DACA, and have created a life for themselves through their years of being in America. Mo Rodriguez, who traveled from Chicago to be present at the rally, felt very passionately about what DACA had allowed him to achieve. 
I came to this country when I was five years old with one goal, and that was to go to college. Um, education has always been something I'm incredibly passionate about. And growing up, everyone said I wasn't gonna do it. I come from a small town in the South. I'm queer, I'm poor, and the, my dreams have always been really big. So I always thought I was gonna go to a really big school, um, and no one said I was going to. And now I'm a current fourth year at the University of Chicago on a full four-year ride. I've been able to intern at some of the most incredible places like the National Immigrant Justice Center and United We Dream, and to compete with my mock trial team, and really, and even start my own organization in Chicago. So. With that, I've been able to, one, breathe a little easier, but also be able to start achieving my wildest dreams. When presented with the question of the emotional toll DACA being rescinded was having, Alex Martinez from Missouri had this to say. This case is about doing the right thing, and it will have immense consequence in all of our lives, all the people that are here, all the people that did, couldn't make it here, our families. I don't know how to feel, but there's a lot <laughs> that, I, that I'm feeling right now. In the case of Jesus Luisa from Kansas, he came to the U.S. when he was only six months old and knows no other country as home. He faces a daunting and distressing situation, being at the forefront of the immigration process for work. I actually work in immigration law now, you know, representing other people and naturalizing people. And then I get home at the end of the day and I'm like, wow, my fate is, is out there too. There is no doubt that rescinding DACA without an alternative solution would affect millions of people, not only for the roughly 700,000 individuals that are enrolled in the program, but their families as well. However, when it came to opinions revolving around DACA and other issues in the immigration community, interesting dynamics began to surface. The most revealing one being that this rally was not only meant for DACA, this was a protest for human rights and a demand for complete immigration reform. Jesus Luisa clearly states that during our conversation. I think it's really important that we acknowledge that we're not just fighting for DACA, but we are fighting for our entire immigrant community as a whole, whether that be the DAPAs, the parents of the DACAs, TPS, our undocumented uh, community that live in fear. Lee Adorno is an activist and organizer at Movimiento Cosecho, a movement that focuses on permanent protection for all undocumented people. He took the issue a step further and highlighted how people are protesting for different issues in immigration and therefore not clearly communicating or addressing the underlying problem. I think this, like right here, is an example of how not a lot of work is being communicated, right? Like there's people talking about DACA, there's people talking about citizenship, there's people talking about like immigration reform. And then there's three other like really big cases that are not being talked about as much as DACA, which I think might even be more important. I think right now there's probably a lot of funding to talk about DACA, which is why we're seeing a lot of turnout for DACA specific stuff. Uh, but there's not enough funding on like people learning about their own movement. Lee proceeds to acknowledge that DACA is not the only fight and that having the preconception that it is can have dire consequences. And if like there's new youth leaders who are just jumping in today, this is their exposure and you're giving them only DACA context, then their imagination for social change is going to be limited. If you don't give them context and let's say we win DACA tomorrow, then people will feel content. They'll be like, we want something. But with, in reality, you look at the past, you're like, we just negotiated what, what used to be 11 million undocumented people to less than a million. And we felt like we want something. 
11 million people is the number of the current undocumented population that would potentially be sacrificed or placed at risk if the focus were to remain only on securing a solution for the nearly 1 million DACA recipients instead of prioritizing efforts that could achieve a comprehensive solution that protects the entire undocumented immigrant community. The additional cases Lee mentioned are regarding violence and homicide at the southern border against migrants by Border Patrol and the prosecution of American citizens aiding immigrants, even with an act as simple as providing food and water, as was the case for a man named Scott Warren. These events, if allowed to continue, promote unjust and inhumane treatment of immigrants and neglect their rights as humans. Juan Ortiz from El Paso, Texas, speaks more on this subject regarding the current active cases on two young men who were unjustly killed by Border Patrol agents. So one of the things that I don't think too many people that might have come here know is the second case on the docket. It could potentially be a seminal case and set precedent for Border Patrol victims across the border. So what's up for debate is that there's two cases that need to be reconciled in front of the court. One is the trans-border shooting in Juarez of Sergio Guereca, and the other one in Nogales of Jose Antonio Elena Rodriguez. Juan's protests at the rally elevated awareness of the issues that plague and traumatize the immigration community in America and highlighted the improper and unjust handling of American immigration in general. It's incredible the situation we're living on the border and it's it's become more exacerbated by erratic behavior of the policies of this administration. When asked about the significance of these cases being tried in court and what a verdict in favor of the plaintiff would mean, Juan said the following. It has tremendous implications of anybody who's killed by a U.S. agency. You could hold that agency and the actor responsible, in this case is Border Patrol. Prosecuting inhumane treatment of migrants and holding government officials accountable for their actions could have significant social and legal implications across the country and hopefully provide some relief from the appalling treatment that migrants and immigrants are experiencing. Just like Juan, the presence of the hundreds of other individuals who attended the rally played a vital role in showing America the faces of those affected by the current immigration policies and those at risk for the changes proposed by the current administration. Michelle Perez highlights the importance of the DACA rally and the work yet to be done. Right now, everyone who's standing here is raising awareness of the importance of DACA, the importance of TPS, because that's what the hearing, and that's just what this is, it's a hearing, so unfortunately, its standing is very limited. But the fact that we are here and we're present says a lot, and it says that we are still going to fight for DACA, we're still going to fight for TPS, despite its limitations on the, in the undocumented community in this country. But it's a springboard. It's where we need to start. It's where the fighting starts, right? And I say fight, not violently. And there's a great deal of work that still needs to be done, right? There needs to be a pathway to citizenship. That's yeah. what everyone keeps missing. That's what's upsetting about this whole thing, right? That DACA and TPS have divided these, these communities, right? It's made families more anxious. It's made them more uncertain about their futures. The sad reality is that while programs like DACA are meant to provide individuals with the opportunity to create a life for themselves in America, this program was only meant to be a temporary solution. Recipients of DACA are subject to expiration and must apply for renewal of the program every two years. 
This leaves room for a lot of anxiety and also limits their ability to imagine and envision their future since they feel that they can only plan out their lives in two-year fragments. So far, no permanent solution and no pathway to citizenship has left them in a permanent limbo. Michelle Perez's sentiments on this are heard clearly with her following statement. Stop playing with these families, stop playing with these communities, fight for the real work that needs to be done, right? Do the justice, create the policy, the immigration policy that has failed time and time again to be created in this country. They're just as much a part of this country, the fabric of this country, as anybody else who's ever come here or stepped foot here. I was able to speak to Ethan Detmer, attorney, who worked alongside Luis Cortes in defending DACA before the Supreme Court on Tuesday. This is what he said about the case. And then the second point that we really wanted to get across, and that did get across, was that if the government is going to get rid of a program like DACA, that is so important to so many people, they have to explain it. They have to like explain why they are getting rid of it. And the reason for that is so that people can hold them accountable for getting rid of something so important. The first point that was presented during the hearing was the importance of DACA in the lives of hundreds of thousands of individuals who have been able to dream because of it and the astronomical implications removing it would have. Regarding the possible final verdict of the court, Ethan Detmer said this. Now what's gonna happen, I don't know. I mean, we'll wait and see. And wait and see is what will have to happen since it will take months for there to be a final decision. But waiting does not mean passivity in the meantime. Valeria Mejia from Maryland is a DACA recipient who feels very strongly about her role in creating the change she desires to see in current immigration policy. We sit down together to briefly discuss her life in the U.S. and her thoughts on DACA's current situation. My name is Valeria Mejia Guevara. I first came to the U.S. when I was three years old. I am from Mexico. I grew up in Indiana, and I first received DACA two years before graduating from high school, so it came just in time Having DACA has opened a lot of doors in terms of my education and in terms of my professional career, being able to study, being able to work. But I think it's meant much more in terms of giving me the opportunity to um, fight for all the immigrants who haven't benefited from DACA. This, of course, includes my parents, family members, and my community. So I think it's very important we can't take a step forward if we're leaving so many people out of that. Before DACA, I grew up knowing my family is undocumented, and it wasn't something that was necessarily always on my mind, but it, I knew that was my reality. So like, if peers in my classroom were giving 100%, I knew I had to give 10 times more. I knew I had to prove that I belonged in, in those same spaces. And I think the reason why I owe so much of this to my parents is because when we first arrived, um, they established a business that continues to grow today. And so through their work, through every obstacle that they would overcome, I saw that without, even though we didn't have a paper that allowed us to be in this country, they were going to overcome everything. When asked how she felt regarding the uncertain future of DACA, Valeria remained optimistic and steadfast in her resolve to continue to fight for her rights and for the rest of the immigrant community. When DACA was rescinded, even though, of course, it's bad news, I was, I thought in my mind, okay, this is an opportunity for us to fight for something for more than just the 800,000 who are benefiting from this program. The most important part with this is I want to continue learning, I, and I do that best with my community. I want to continue building with the movement, continue uh, working alongside 
other people, whether it's TPS, whether it's DACA, whether it's our parents. And also keeping in mind that the hearing today is only one of three. We're also looking at um, two cases of Mexicans who were shot at the border. And so what that means and um, holding these institutions accountable for what they're doing, Mm -hmm. recognizing those as crimes and upholding human rights. The prevalent mentality among the many DACA recipients is a fierce determination to work towards a more complete immigration system that protects not only DACA recipients, but the entire immigrant community in America. These non-DACA recipients are parents, family members, and friends, and there is an understandable intolerance for partial reform in favor of some, but at the expense of others. The undocumented community as a collective will continue to fight for their rights as immigrants, as has been obtained by the ancestral immigrants of America. Recognizing that the current DACA program is a temporary construct, a new bill was created to replace the current DACA in an effort to provide a permanent and humane solution and address the current program's limitations. This new bill, known as the DREAM Act of 2019, will protect recipients from deportation and provide a pathway to citizenship for the nearly 700,000 DACA recipients without compromising efforts to protect the rest of the undocumented immigrant community. This is something that will have a direct impact on the lives of hundreds of thousands and taking action to pressure elected officials to thoroughly review and vote for this bill is imperative. If you are interested in helping this bill get passed, to protect DACA recipients from deportation, reach out to your senators and express your interest in seeing it passed. With enough pressure and action, there may just be hope in providing a permanent and humane solution for DACA recipients. A template letter has been prepared by the foundation Ignatian Solidarity that only needs the name of the senator you wish to send it to. This link will be provided in the show notes for anyone who wishes to get involved, and you can also contact Relentless Minds directly for a copy. Despite the fact that the current DACA program does not seem to have a promising future, the fight for immigration reform for the millions of undocumented immigrants in America will continue on. Here is what Juan Escalante, immigrant advocate and online strategist, had to say about the movement and the proper mentality that all immigrants fighting for their rights should have. Ultimately, what you have to do is essentially make sure that people understand that like, small victories are part of the victory. And oftentimes, we won't see the change that we want to see reflected all together in our lives. We're going to have to make sure that we plant those seeds so that the next generation takes that mantle. It is clear that the immigrant communities of America are resolved to see humane immigration reform take place and have already begun to plant the seeds to be cultivated by future generations in this journey for protection of the rights of the entire immigrant community. For this is America, a land built on the foundation of immigration, And these immigrants are here to stay. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it and feel inspired and would like to be a part of the Relentless Minds community, you can join the movement for change on Instagram and Twitter. We would also love to know how your experience has been as a listener. If you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another powerful story. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.